Hey guys, welcome back to the Motor Madhouse Podcast, back for yet another episode. My name is Mike, joined by my good buddy Steve. Steve, how are you doing? Pretty good, Mike. Thanks for having me again. Good, good. So, what's new in the world of cars? Oh, you know, not a lot. I mean, right now in Wisconsin, we're we're looking at this huge blizzard tomorrow. We'll see what ends up being. Um, so, all my stuff's kind of put away, but... Um, you know, just kind of waiting on that. I have some thoughts on a project that maybe we'll talk about some other day, but I have a particular four-door BMW and I think one day we're going to have to put a V8 in it. So, but that's been consuming my mind a little bit in cars. Sounds but. fun. Yeah. My week's been consumed with this, uh, snowmageddon coming tonight. So, um, I plow snow. So I had to get my plow truck ready, which hasn't been driven on the road in since last winter <laughs> maybe spring a little bit but um you know just getting the plow on and the plow is behind a car that hasn't been started in months i had to jump that car and pull that out of the way and then fight the plow on for 45 minutes and debated quitting and just not plowing anymore for about 10 minutes and then said no 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 let's just figure it out <laughs> and got it back going and got it on but then that was two days ago and then today i got ready to uh i do a change of tire on my truck Cause I got a flat last year. So I had a new tire and went to go put it on and could not find my truck keys for a good 30 minutes. I mean, usually it's like, ah, oh, there's somewhere around, but after about 15 minutes, I was like, did the kids put it in the garbage can? Like what happened? <laughs> they're, they're gone. Like I, the, and the penalty for not having these keys is pretty substantial. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, a lot of dollars. A lot of dis- time. Yeah. Disappointed people and reputation. So <laughs> luckily I found them. Um, I had a pry bar and a giant 22 inch channel locks, so it's not back in its place. Um, but um, <laughs> I had set them aside and, and on a uh, car cover for my uh, lawnmower, like little toe behind wagon, and set it off to the side. Went to go jump the other car to pull it inside and found it in my detached garage buried. But whoo, it was a nice little panic attack for no reason. I've had plenty of cars where I only have one key for it. I'm just like, this is such a bad idea. And then I never do anything about that. <laughs> it just kind of yeah. lives that bad choice for a while. I've been lucky oh, yeah, so 100%. far, but <laughs> so yeah, we'll see how this goes. But probably gonna have to get up super early to start plowing. So, anyways, um, you had another good idea for an episode today, and probably a continuing segment: uh, the best cards of each decade. Which is that's a you know you can go deep on each one so it's i'm sure we'll same thing i'm gonna be worried about you overlapping picks and everything um but at the same time there's so many to pick from and we're, we come from different backgrounds well you know we talked about this earlier today so then i have cars that are my favorites from the 80s but i sorry i already said the decade but that's fine um we i picked the 80s because it's my my generation or when i was born right so i'm like oh that'll be an interesting one but I have cars that I think are the best, but I'm like, you know what? I should pick some ones that are just like different than Mike's going to pick. Right. So like some things that I know maybe a bit more about, we could talk about. So that'd be interesting. Yeah. yeah so like you said, it's going to be the 1980s on this episode. And I'm, I'm kind of glad we're doing this one first because it's probably my least favorite <laughs> of every decade. Um, See, so yeah, I was well, you know, uh, actually. Go, go ahead. ahead. I was going to say, yeah, well, you, you got to think about what's happening in the 80s. Right. So like getting out of the oil crisis, right? Kind of barely. So kind of going through that whole deal and all the manufacturers are making, they were getting out of making compact cars, getting back into the kind of a little bit bigger cars that 
had V8s in them again, but they were so restrained by emissions and different things that are coming out that they were making 140 horse out of a V8, right? Just like wild stuff. So, right. But, and then even just the styling, like, I mean, for instance, like the, the logo for the podcast, my 59 Buick LeSabre, look at a 1980 LeSabre. That's only 21 <laughs> years later. Like name any car today that looked cooler 21 years ago. No. I mean, yeah. 1980s like the ugliest thing ever made i mean it's just you could sculpt all the body panels out of sh like plywood there's no design there's no creativity it's kind of just make a vehicle put a name on it and put a crazy underpowered <laughs> terrible gas mileage motor in it <laughs> and, and uh it was just an interesting time for kind of things to go backwards and unlike you i was actually born the ninth month of 1990. So I wasn't even conceived in the eighties. So no. I, and not to blame for anything that happened in that decade. So let's get <laughs> that out of the way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, and it's not like I was driving in the eighties. So it's not like I was hanging out with any of these cars necessarily. I was 84 or so, but uh, still, you know, when I was growing up in the nineties, like cars in the eighties weren't that old. It'd be like for us right now, a car from the teens. Right. Um, so, but yeah, I don't know if you want to get started on it or if you want me to, or how you want to go. I'll let you go first just cause we, I, we might have some overlap. I feel like the ones I'm going to have might be predictable for you. Cause I got to kind of stick to what I know. Okay. Um, so I'm gonna let you start and I'm going to bet you're gonna have some things that I don't know much about. So I'm ready to learn. So I'm going to start with the one that I, I'm pretty certain you probably don't know a ton about. So, and I'm picking it and I very easily could have picked the 19. <clears throat> 80s uh, from the 1980s I could have picked the e30 m3 so that's kind of like the godfather to german sports sedans right um and it started it all but the kind of unknown car that actually got bmw to make the e30 m3 is the mercedes 190e 23 2.3 so later on though they upgraded so it was the mercedes-benz 190e 2.5 16 german's not very creative with their name so it's a 2.5 liter motor 16 valve um so i don't know if you want to share it. i can kind of keep talking about it because it'll probably be hard for me to kind of search that but 190e uh 2.5 16b and this was created they they had this car and they wanted to get into world rally racing um and 190e yep 2.5 16 and what year is this uh they i think they did it from like 84 to like 82 um, okay so they'll pull it up yep so they originally were going to do this car to enter in the world rallying uh championship with audi and toyota and all of them that were in it they got going on it they had cosworth built this motor they made a ton of power with it and just as they were getting ready to do it Audi came out with their quattro cars, all-wheel drive cars, would have just decimated this thing. It was rear-wheel drive, right? So Mercedes scrapped it. They're like, no, we're not going to be in racing anymore. We're not going to do any of this. And secretly, kind of behind the executive's eyes, there was a group starting a sport package of this car because Mercedes said, you can't race anymore. We're not doing racing. We're over. And they made this sport package version of this car. And people started buying it on their own for DTM racing for a touring car. And this is kind of like almost like the equivalent of the heydays of NASCAR when it was actually like 
the car that you bought was pretty much in the race. Uh, DTM racing touring cars were like the 80s German cars that you could actually buy. So people started buying up these Mercedes and they started winning. It was winning year over year over year. And BMW had to make a competition car to it. So they made the M3. Um, and then Mercedes noticed. And then they started backing it and just really putting a bunch of money into this car. So it ended up being not impressive by today's numbers. Like I think it was about 180 horse, if I remember correctly. But as a race car, it was great. And do you know what a dog leg transmission is? I'm assuming. Yeah. Uh, um, I've heard the term, but no, I don't. So typical transmissions first are forward and you know far to the left, right? And a dog leg transmission, it's actually back and to the left. And the reason for this is when you're on a racetrack, you're often going between two and three on tighter tracks. So it's set up that way. So your two to three shifts are straight line. Um, so it had a dog leg transmission, which was just a little bit different. Um, and it was just built to run forever. So they actually made it to do these endurance races as well. And I, I want to say the one that they still to this day hold the record in, and actually I can look this up, was a yeah, 31,000 miles um, at an average of 154 miles per hour. So oh, nonstop wow. as fast, and that's including oil changes, tire changes, gas fill-ups, everything. 31,000 miles nonstop at an average of 154,000 miles, which has to be a production car. And then you could just imagine pretty soon nobody will ever beat that because how are you going to get an EV to do that? Right. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. but so just a super impressive car that no one's ever heard of. Um, and there's very, very rare, not very many came to the U S just enough, like, so they could say that they made it right. So they could enter into these races. Um, but really started the whole thing because of this, the M3 came out because of this, uh, Audi S4 came out and, um, essentially made sports sedans what they are today. We wouldn't have CTSVs. We wouldn't have black wings. None of this would exist without this car getting started. So, but yeah, I think that's the coolest car of the eighties. Yeah, that's wild. So what was, I guess my main question is what was regulation like in Europe in this time period? Cause I think that's what killed American performance. Um, you know, we had all these EPA regulations with gas mileage in the seventies and then safety bumpers and all this stuff kind of made, performance not a priority um so what was going on in germany and italy and all the other yeah manufacturers? I'm not, i wouldn't say i know as much about it but i do know that they were less about emissions because of their fuel costs were so much higher that was more how they really drove this because they let people decide if you want a fuel efficient car you wanted to get it because the fuel was so much more expensive right um funny how that works yeah <laughs> right right um let the market decide okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, safety was more about safety of the interior, uh, you know, of the car. So like that was a big demand for this car that had to be as safe as any other Mercedes. Um, but again, they didn't have the same regulations around like uh, pedestrian safety at the time. Uh, honestly, now is a much different story. Like into the 2000s, they got very big into that. And they're actually even um, more serious about that than america is at this point so um that's why it's like really hard to have a f-150 over there to actually pass safety because it would just you know decimate a person if it hit them but um right. but yeah the, they were on the fuel and like 
exhaust pipe emissions, they were a little bit more laid back at this time. So, okay. Okay. Well, I'll jump into my first one. Um, once again, none of these are my like favorite cars. None of these are like, <laughs> on my bucket list to buy. I mean, maybe a couple I would definitely buy. Like I've looked them up in the past a couple times, but um, this one in particular, I have a little more of a sentimental attachment to uh, one of my dad's best friends, giant car guy. He has had a couple of these things. And one year we went to Buick Grand Sport Nationals down in Bowling Green, Kentucky when I was probably 14. I couldn't drive yet, but we had to, uh, he bought another car when he was down there. So my dad and I had to drive this car all the way home from Kentucky back to Northern Illinois. So we spent a good, what, eight, nine hours in this thing. And I went into it not being a fan of eighties cars. I was like, no, cars are cool in the sixties and seventies. They got lame until the nineties again. That's my mindset <laughs> at that age. And I rode this thing and I was like, Whoa, this thing's kind of fun. And it was a, uh, it was the only car you think I gave it away saying Buick Nationals, but it's not a BNX. <laughs> Ooh, um, okay. That's I was I was going was, that direction to be honest. <laughs> yeah, right. It's the only car they let into Buick Nationals uh, that's not a Buick, only because it's Buick powered, and that's the 1989 Trans Am anniversary oh, car. My uncle has. So one, this. Oh really. So this was the only time the Trans Am was ever offered in a six cylinder. Yep. And it was the 20th anniversary and they borrowed the motor from the 87 GNX. So they're all made white. Uh, I think they all had the same tan interior. Some might have had black. I'm not hundred percent sure, but they were pretty outstanding performance for their time. Uh, I think there were, he was running at the drag strip there. I think he was hitting consistent 13.7s and the car was, 24 years old at this time so i was kind of watching that and then you know we were driving at home and on the highway when you get that turbo lag and then it hits <laughs> and like i went into it being like oh we're taking a little six banger home you know i was a big muscle car guy oh yeah and i kind of i kind of shut my mouth real fast when we got out of it a couple times i was like whoa this thing but, <laughs> yeah that 3a was a you know it was a monster slayer like even it was faster than the corvette at the time i, I don't know if this car was fast oh, yeah. yeah this probably wouldn't fast than the c4 as well right oh yeah Oh yeah, yeah. The the TPI motors and the whatever. Yeah. Was it the crossfire was later, I think. But yeah, there was the three fifties and small X Chevys weren't quite matching that. That was probably the fastest GM car of the eighties was the GNX and this. Um with and, a six cylinder. And these are automatic only, I think. Yep. Yeah. They both were. Um, but and then the three point eight went on to be a legend of its own, you know. I mean, there's just one of the most bulletproof motors ever made it's it's the six cylinder equivalent of the small block chevy and you know when i was watching these gnx's and grand nationals and t-types running when we were at the drag strip it kind of really changed my mind on these things because they were there's guys hitting eights in these things back in the early 2000s wow. with grand nationals <laughs> and stuff with with turbo six bangers i'm just going whoa <laughs> like these things are it's one thing to be like oh no v8s are great and the 455 is the biggest buick motor ever made then you watch it destroy a 70 Buick going, man, I don't see many guys running those times. <laughs> you know, it, was, <laughs> it was pretty, uh, pretty eye opening, but, but I've always had kind of a, a soft spot. I mean, these, you know, for my, for these cars after uh, having one around, but um, I would definitely yeah, buy I'd... one if I came across one for a decent price. I think they look kind of cool to be honest. And I obviously setting this exact year aside, I think, um, 
I could enjoy doing a motor swap one of these. I've seen some like LS swapped ones or LSA swapped cars and they just look bad. Like they just look so cool. <laughs> like, yeah, um, they've grown on me. One of my best friends in high school had a 87 IROC that his dad bought new. It was a 305 TPI five speed. Um, it was a real cool like Le Mans blue. And it was such a shame. His dad bought it new, had 57,000 miles on it, gave it to him when he was 16, and he just ran it into the ground. I mean, Ugh. it was just, I mean, the, by the time he was done with it, the hood was flat black, scrape everywhere. I mean, cigarette burns in the seats. It was just trash. I mean, I think he eventually smoked the clutch on it, sat in a barn for four years, and they sold it for nothing. <clears throat> but it was, I mean, it was a car that someone would pay a lot of money for when he first inherited it when he was 16 <laughs> so <laughs> that was kind of a shame but i've never been a big third gen guy but between the memories of cruising around in his car and this one they're they're starting to grow on me as i'm getting older i'm starting to get that nostalgic feel that was the era of cars too where you went back to a carb right like if you had a third yeah. gen with tpi you did a, a swap back to having a carb <laughs> actually um made some good power out of it right but you know, that's, that's a good one. I kind of forgot about that existing, but I remember my uncle telling me about his and that he had the 3.8. I'm like, oh, that's not really. And I was in high school at the time. And I was just like, well, that's not that, that cool. And then <laughs> realizing what it was years later and him telling me, I'm like, oh, oh, okay. Yeah. That's, that's Does a he still, car. still have it. I think he got rid of it a while ago. Like it was one of those things that he bought at like four years old. Like it, oh, he didn't okay. pay a lot of money for it and he just sat in his barn. And he drove it every mm. once in a while. But I think something like five years ago, he got rid of it. Um, one of those things I, gotcha. I wish I would have thought about it more when I was in high school. But like, hey, can I hold on to that forever? <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're, they're still not crazy. I mean, they're definitely expensive now, but they're not. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're, you know, I think you get a good one from like between 35 and 50 grand right now. So, yeah, I think the yes, DNXs not... went, oh. the DNXs went way, way higher. Right. Yeah. I've seen them hit 200 grand with super low miles. That's a whole different animal. Yeah. I've seen, I remember seeing like, it, it was called the T type back then, right? When it wasn't the GNX, they had the T type. The T type was below the grand national. So you had regal, yeah. regal T type then grand national yeah. and GNX is one year only 90 or 87. Yep. I remember seeing those around like all the time. Like it was just common, not all the time, all the time, but like it wouldn't be a weird to see one once a week. Oh, just G bodies um, in general. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, the, yeah, either T types or sometimes you'd see a GN. I think I've seen one GNX not at a car show, and that was back in like the early two thousands. And I forgot the number on it, but there were there wasn't a ton of them. I think there was only like five hundred or so made. Yeah, it was low. <clears throat> yeah, I've never seen one outside of a car show or auction. To be honest, I don't, you don't see them at you know Walmart. You're out cruising. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, irony, this is actually uh, in the old Walmart in town here um, is where I saw it. But it was back then, again, it was just kind of old car. It wasn't like um, it was maybe 15, 16 years old at the time. So it wasn't a super big collector yet. Right. But I stand corrected. Yep. Um, I actually assumed you were going to pick the GNX. That was where I thought you were going. So, <laughs> And I, I knew you were going to assume it. So I didn't. Ah, yeah, that, and that was the same reason I didn't go with that one either. So, but <laughs> this one's um, a uh, good. I'll say this one kind of counts as a GNX, you know, adjacent. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. So, 
speaking of which i i did pick a g body car um so but i went a different direction i i picked this as my favorite because my friend's dad had a 1986 um and it was a 442 and if you knew anything about these ones which i know i i think you know a little bit about obviously the older 442s um but these were not stellar performance cars by any means um right i think they had a 307 um yep in them and 442 had like somebody from meetings throughout the years and i think at this time it was just four barrel carb four speed automatic dual exhaust right mm-hmm. um it, i think earlier on it might have been like the 400 motor that I had in it and then they had a four speed manual and yeah but yeah. um Again, not a fast car, but it was like the car that kind of made me realize that people collected cars and took care of them. And like, you know, uh, my friend said was washing the thing all the time. He has custom license plate for it. So it kind of just got us into it and it would do burnouts. It was a big comfy machine and um, it just kind of what got me into thinking about cars that way. And I remember we had big plans for that thing after it was sold to one of his sons he had so he had three sons i was kind of friends with all of them but um never really got there with it but i still every time i see like a hearse olds or no olds 442 or even the monte carlos i kind of think oh what mind grabbing up one of those um did did you ever have any 442s your dad of g-body generation well, any any four four twos. Oh yeah, oh yes. Yeah. So, I mean, I have a seventy Cutlass in my garage, and it's my oh, dad's. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Probably. That's his parts car. Yeah, he said I learned to drive stick in a seventy W thirty when I was eleven. Yeah. Uh, Sebring yellow four speed. Uh, I would guesstimate he's probably had at least forty. 68 wow. to 72. Okay, so that's his car. Yeah. That's <laughs> he's a no. Oh yeah, that's his bread and butter. I mean, he's yeah probably partial to. Oldsmobile over GTLs, Grand Sports, Chevelles. He's had them all, but that's that's his one. He still has his first yeah. one ever, a really? 70 convertible, 442. Yeah, it's been a thousand pieces since I was born, but it's still there. <laughs> He's restored dozens since, but that one he hasn't got to. So but, did you know about the 442 is that they made one after the G-Body? So early 90s. Uh, in the 90s? Uh, yeah. I think I've, yeah, like on that, yeah. the Cutlass platform. The, the <laughs> yeah, it was awful. I mean, yeah. They should have never, ever done it. Um, yeah. I think at that point it stood for, it had the quad four, which is like GM's yep. four cylinder. And it was a four speed auto again. And I forgot, I don't think the two, oh, the two standard for twin cam. Because it didn't okay. have that dual exhaust. So what yeah. a sad <laughs> end of that car. They probably could have just not done that. So the car you're talking about in particular is an 86 442 or her stole? Yes. Yeah. 86 442 is I I'm gonna put that in as one of my favorites. I think that's just uh okay. um yeah. And they they had that uh darker blue that's I think in that first one there. Um yeah. but just super cool car. This color. Um yeah, yep, exactly. Yeah, I remember those wheels. Yeah. Yep. So it's it's nostalgia. It's probably the same thing that makes me, you know, like the ones that are older, only because I kind of yeah. grew up around those things. Like when I see the rear quarter on a seventy four four two or the rear tail lights, like I it reminds me of my dad. You know, so that's yeah. always going to be. And then that's another one of those cars where it's like, how did the styling go backwards? Like it's a <laughs> cool looking car, but it's nowhere near sixty eight to seventy two or even 
you know, 66 or seven or anything prior. It's just kind of weird how the cars, <laughs> the styling just kind of fell off the map. It's like, that was, they just kind of farmed that project out to, you know, whoever else that was new at GM. Well, it's interesting how like similar everything looks to like in time periods, like, and obviously all the G bodies look the same. That's like a whole different story. Right. But like right, everything right. in the eighties kind of had this weird wedge box shape to it. Right. Um, even that Mercedes, you could easily quickly tell that that was from the eighties. And if you look at the eighties BMW, yeah. it looked the same. Right. So, and now same thing, yeah. you look at any new car, they all look identical. Right. So, but yeah, real seven olds is probably one of the most underpowered v8s ever made <laughs> yeah I, I don't know the exact specs but my dad said he had a station wagon that was just in, i mean could not get out of its own way like every yeah, i'm pretty sure has to go by i'm pretty sure my friend's mom had the station wagon with that motor in it too like they had both of those cars and yeah they were they were a bit gutless for sure <laughs> but, like <laughs> no at that point gutless. like yeah at that point in my life like anything was cool right like i my first vehicle was uh a truck that had a v6 in it so like to have 180 horse in a car like or whatever it was back then like hell yeah that was that was awesome right oh yeah but, yeah it's all about what you're around when you get introduced to cars and kind of what's right. like Ooh, i like this about that like this is these wheels look kind of racy and this you know these stripes and all that kind of grabs you as a kid so no, i totally understand that and the other thing too like and this maybe doesn't apply so much with this car is i i always say this to my friends it's more fun to drive a slow car fast than a fast car slow right so you could just drive the hell out of one of these or, or really any car from the 80s and you're barely breaking the speed limit. The thing's leaning all over the place. Like it's one tire spinning. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just the only thing uh, that sucks is you're getting the same gas mileage as a car that has a lot of horsepower. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yep. But the, the so. yeah, exactly. So all right, leave it. Leave it to you now. Okay, so this one I debated it back and forth to even include because it's to call it the best is completely <laughs> inaccurate. It, it has nothing to do with good at all. It's purely just, I love it. <laughs> and <laughs> I don't think I'm alone. And I mean, I was, when I was a kid, there's a certain movie I got obsessed with that a lot of people got obsessed with. And it's the good old DeLorean. Ooh, ah, kind of, that is a good pick. I kind of, kind of forgot about that. Terrible, terrible car. So it's kind of misleading in the title of this episode to call it the best, <laughs> but you got to understand there's once again uh, some sentimental stuff here. John DeLorean invented the Pontiac GTO. So I was already in, like, this is my guy. I figured <laughs> up and then learn more about him. And oh, it turns out he started his own company after he left GM. And then Back to the Future came out. And I mean, I, I watched those three <laughs> movies hundreds of times before I was 10 years old. I mean, over and over and over. It was just my favorite movie. And the movie car looks way cooler than the real ones, of course. But the stainless seal, the gold wing doors. He had such good intentions with this car, but just a perfect storm of nothing going right <laughs> led to be like just one of the most catastrophic failures that should have been included on the last episode, but it wasn't really <laughs> a model. It was also a manufacturer and that's kind of what we were not doing on that episode. But what I mean, the motor that they what were they like a hundred and it's some crazy 
gosh, get me off guard here, but it was some kind of not a Zuzu, but something like that. Ping some of the P. It was some foreign motor that just I mean, no power. The thing literally could not hit 88 miles an hour in real life. <laughs> it was <laughs> yeah, I remember reading that about it. Yeah. And, and the stainless steel body obviously didn't help. They were fairly heavy, I think, for their size. Yeah, right? probably expensive to manufacture. But, you know, had he just done this before the EPA stuff happened, like, if he was doing this in 1970 instead of GTOs, like, what would it have been, you know? Like, what right. kind of... Or in the 90s, you know, once kind of 92 or later, once the Vipers and the LS motors were getting developed, like, what would this thing have been? It was just the wrong car at the wrong time. But... I'm I trying mean, to think when this fell in line with the Pontiac Fiero, right? Like, was that... Pretty similar. This is 82 right? or 81. 81, I think, was the first year of DeLorean. And I think 80, question, 84, okay. maybe. So they just remind me, me. similar ish, right? Rear engine, or is it mid engine? I can't remember right now. But um... yeah, it's rear engine. Um, available in auto or manual. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, but, you know, and the art thing is like, head back to the future come out when this thing was in production it probably would have sold a ton of them um it wasn't made till these things failed so it was kind of kind of funny <laughs> how the car company went under and then it became just an icon i mean it's arguably up there with the most famous it's right there with the general lee or christine or bullet mustang it's probably number one up there oh yeah I mean, yeah yeah for cars that make you think about a particular movie i'd have to say yeah that has to take the cake right like like it's what so other car makes this... what's that i said it's so funny you bring this up too like for this episode idea because i forgot i had a really like crazy dream last night that i woke up and i almost googled it because it seemed so realistic i had a dream that elon musk bought the rights to delorean <laughs> to redevelop an ev delorean with all modern tech inside of it and i was like oh that was a dream but that totally sounds plausible like oh, he's crazy 100%. enough to do something like that maybe it's because it resembles the cyber truck so much yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I saw a comparison where they're comparing the DeLorean to the Cybertruck and how just crazy the idea was, but they did it anyways, you know, <laughs> kind of things. So. Yeah, he's like the, if John DeLorean was successful, kind of equivalent of our generation. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, another one of these cars, I've only seen these at car shows, never seen one just going around. Um, but... I don't know if anybody has ever done any wild mods to them either. Like if they've ever been swapped anything or just oh yeah, honestly, yeah, oh yeah, they've done, okay. they've done a couple of LS swaps. The last uh, season finale of Vice Grip or uh, Roadworthy Rescues with uh, Derek Bieri from Vice Grip Garage, he LS swapped one. Jeez. So yeah. how does that work? Is he doing like a like the five three that was in the front of the Monte Carlos or? No, they it's or, they put it rear facing because you know with the LS you can turn the intake around like on a boat. It's, yeah, it's ambidextrous, and then it adapts to some kind of Porsche transmission. And there's an adapter plate. There's kits for it. People do it all the time, apparently. Wow. So there's actually aftermarket support to convert DeLorean to LSs. Um, <laughs> so he ordered the whole kit and like did it, and then he he blew it up going on the drag strip at LS Fest on the first pass. Oh man! So <laughs> never saw it was going to run. I always wonder but, if people, that's probably the, obviously the better way to do it. But you remember for, I think Impala was actually what had the 5.3 in it for a short period of time. They had kind of that. Impala SS and the Pontiac GXP. 
Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I wonder if people are swapping those. I've seen people who swap. Um, the I saw a Cadillac actually. They took the North Star, and they bolted into the back of a Nissan Maxima. Made it a rear engine with that, and got rid of all the front motor and everything. <laughs> so, just curious, people went that way with the DeLorean. But, oh, sure, it could be done. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, all right, so your turn here. Yeah. So. I hesitate to say this, but again, maybe we're getting off the path of best and I'm going to, I'm still going to stick to the W's. I think these trucks are cool. And I think that it opened up a lot for truck culture right now. And like wh where people are at with these. Um, so the, I guess, 1988 Silverado. So I, I think they call these the CK generation, right? Um, or the GMT 400s. Oh, okay. Um, Right. So this was the first year of those. They went until 1988. Um, I happen to have a particular fondness again for these because my first vehicle was a Silverado like this. Uh, it was five speed manual, uh, TBI motor. So, you know, tons of power and just no, that was awful. Actually, <laughs> it was a TBI. I think it was it was essentially a carburetor that had two little fuel injector pods that sat in the top of the carburetor. And, um, I spent a ton of money to try to make that fast. Like I want to say that I probably put about five to $6,000 into a motor build. And I left it TBI because I was 17. And I thought that was a good idea. Um, so I built a 350 for it. Stayed TBI, right? Did a high rise intake manifold and then adapted it back to this um, headers, heads, valve springs, cam, uh, high compression pistons, like everything. But if I would have just changed the fuel injection system, <laughs> right, would have been good. <laughs> but um, yeah, I was trying to. Go ahead. I'll say I was trying to do the the math. I went what year it was in your seventeen of how much a ZZ4 crate motor cost from GM Performance, but it's probably less than five grand. <laughs> yeah, honestly, like, and that's kind of where I I should have went. I remember looking at magazines and being like, I could just buy a crate motor. And this would be a better right. way to do this, right? Well, but, the learning experience of building it yourself and that's priceless. Right. right. Um, but I mean, these this is one of the first like trucks that actually had like a luxury trim made meant something, right? Like cruise control and your your standard power windows later on, right? And all that. And um kind of started getting into where four doors are more popular later on, too. And um, you know. And people started to actually buy these to be their only vehicle um, and drive them to work, right? Um, and they're super popular right now. Like, if you try to find one of these that's clean, um, you better be, have fifteen, twenty thousand dollars with you, right? Because they're pretty rare. But yeah, yeah. you. Uh, I actually, I don't know trucks that well, so to be honest, I didn't know this generation was from the eighties. I thought they were all yeah. square bodies until like ninety. So that's I. If I saw that, I would guess ninety three, ninety four. Yeah, I, I, I sort of cheated with this one, right? It came in right at 88. No, I mean, it's, I, I did 89 Trans Am. So <laughs> yeah, yeah that. that's true. But uh, yeah, I, I, you know, the motors later on, I think after 95, they went, which is now out, out of the 80s, obviously, but they went to a different fuel injection system. They had the Vortec heads on them and everything, and they were um, obviously yep. a little bit more powerful, but never great, great power out of them, which is... These are always the cars I reference when I talk about like 
how far motors have went right because the 454 was offered in these later on and i want to say let's say it was like 230 horse I, I could be wrong in that but somewhere in the lower 200s i mean now four cylinder my my wife's four cylinder car over here makes 260 right so it's right. just crazy how much things change in that bit of time <clears throat> but then they had the 454 ss which was also, I wouldn't say it was necessarily the start of the sport truck. I'd say Dodge probably took that with the little red wagon, right? But um, yeah, definitely got things going with the Ford Lightning. Um, uh, I I've driven one 454 SS and it was okay. Like I, I, it was one of those things. Like I was so into that platform that I was expecting it to be like change my life. But don't meet your right. heroes, man. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so. Your so, your right. plow truck is a later gen of this, though, right? Yes, yeah, no two, which yeah. that's actually kind of a pattern here. You're seeing nostalgia. My my dad bought an O2 Silverado, three quarter ton, brand new. So yeah. that was one of those generations where they're changing the front end every year, like 2000, yeah. 2001. LS motors are coming into play, and then O2 to O3. Like to me, I don't like the O3 to O6. GM for row seven and a half GM front end where they kind of got that yeah a little sharper yeah like, yeah so like the O2 I I think they kind of hit their peak like O1 looked nice but then O2 they actually uh sampled the grill from the 67 GTO it's got the X pattern with the wave in it oh um, so okay. that's the first thing my being a GTO guy that was the first thing I picked up on I was like oh they people probably don't realize this this is exactly the same profile of a 67 GTO grill they just expanded it. Um, so I just, that was a brand new truck to me. It still feels new to me when I drive it. It's like, oh yeah, <laughs> this is brand new. I remember going for a ride the first time I came back from the dealership. Um, but yeah, they're bulletproof. I too. like we, that truck. We've got a 2001 yeah, farm with 214,000 miles. And my, my dad does not treat anything well. <laughs> like, you know, we've probably put like 3000 pounds in the bed of the thing, like dropped out of a tractor, right. Kind of stuff. Like, um, never change the oil all that and just goes every time just starts up rides nice yeah, good trucks yeah mine's got 237 on it right now i bought it with 220 and it's done nothing but pull trailers and yard work and plowing mostly plowing yeah. since i bought it yeah. and it's just yes <laughs> it asks for more no matter how much you give it yeah but those are one of those vehicles a little that, crusty i think about trying to find a two-wheel drive one of those and making some kind of weird sleeper out of it right like I mean, which everybody's done already, but now, now everybody's moved on to the F-150s or the Coyotes, but. Right. Yeah. So the last one, I almost didn't want to do this one because it's kind of predictable, but it's kind of got to be mentioned. Um, and that's just, it kind of changed the game with performance cars. So that's the Fox body Mustang. Um, you that, know, before... that probably literally is one of the better cars in the eighties, if I was to be honest, right? Well, it just kind of reintroduced muscle cars back into the equation. I mean, you had the six-cylinder stuff going on, but the true V8 rear-wheel drive, um, two-door, you know, no legroom in the back seat, just full-on muscle car, It the cars started to get fast again. I mean, there were some dark, dark years before this thing came out with the Mustang two, and, you know, I've, I've had a 71 Mustang, a 73 Mustang, and even those, like, it just they went backwards from the cool ones from the 60s and 1970. Like things started just they didn't look as cool, and then they got slower and slower and uglier and uglier. And this was kind of the rebound where uh 
you know, this is such a great platform to this day. I mean, people just buy these things. We've talked about it before. Um, LS swap, Coyote swap, four nine inch in the back, just a lightweight bulletproof chassis. And it looks aggressive. It looks cool. Oh, um, for awesome. a while, they were very overdone. I kind of got tired of them because you just, when they were cheap, you saw them everywhere. So it's kind of like, I don't want to go to the drag strip and just see nothing but a bunch of five liter Mustangs going down the, the strip. But there's a reason why everyone's doing it. Back then, they were cheap, they were lightweight, and you, there's just the modifications were endless. So this one, I think, was one of the most significant cars of the 80s just because it really kind of forced every competitor to step their game up. Um, some of the stuff we didn't mention, like, you know, the the GLH Shelby Mopars of this era and stuff, the Go Like Hell stood mm-hmm. for. Um, there's some weird stuff going on with six cylinders and four cylinders and turbos and all that. Uh, and this one kind of brought things back center. And it was like, nope, V8, rear-wheel drive, let's go. This is the performance car route. And then, you know, then you get the ZR1 Mustang in the early 90s and um, all the, you know, the Dodge Viper. I mean, everyone kind of had to step up. And I think this car has got a lot of credit due for that. Yeah, and like you kind of said, they kind of became, you can mod them, do whatever you want. You know, obviously a lot of people went drag with them. But, I mean, there's drift cars out of them, uh, road race. I remember... Maximum Motorsports is kind of the company in the 2000s. And honestly, they might still be working on different platforms, but they made some sick suspension setups for these. And they were pulling like into 1.2 Gs on a Fox body, right? Um, I had a Fox body for a while in my garage. It was like a buddy and my, we kind of did this joint project on it. And the chassis was so soft on that one though. Like if I jacked up the front, I remember I did like tighten up the headers on it. I couldn't open the door anymore, right? Like, <laughs> just flex that much, but, but just iconic sound out of them. Like, I love how the five O sounds. Yeah, well, that's the other thing was the five liter. That was just such a that was, those motors you can make crazy power out of them. I mean, it was kind of like nothing else from that era besides the three point eight uh, Buick motor. There's guys that still race these things. There's still giant aftermarket support. There's no one doing TPI motors. No one with <laughs> no one with no. any sort of sense about them doing that. But the five liter is still a motor that people will go to and still build hot rods out of. So it's just it's a car that just must be mentioned if we're on this on this topic. Oh, for sure. Yeah, and I, I thought about it as well, but I'm like, uh, I I don't know, like it. It almost seemed too obvious, but at the same time, like it has to be called out. Like, yeah, hundred percent. Yep. Cool. All right. Well, let's pivot into our weekly segment of cars that are bottomed out in the market. Um, So if you have some money today that you want to buy a car, it's never going to be cheaper. Each car we, or each week we pick a different car. So I'll let you go this time and uh, yeah, see what I, I've been trying to think of ones that are cheaper and this one is not, (laughs) but it also won't get cheaper. So I, I, I'm going to start, uh, say this one. And again, I'm going to try to get into a different theme here, but I, I know a lot about these cars. So um, the it's called the E90 M3, which I drive at E90. So that's maybe why I like these. But also the E90 M3 was um, BMW's only V8 M3. So the first one is a four-cylinder. Next two are going to be or six-cylinders. And in 2000, geez, I should probably remember this year better. 2007, 2008, they started the E90, um, which had a essentially a V10 that they cut two cylinders out of under M5. 
So it was low 400 horsepower, just a screamer. Um, and like any car, right? There's a point where it becomes just an old car. And then it transitions into becoming a classic car. And that's kind of right where these are sitting. Um, you know, they're all getting close to 20 years old. A lot of them had rod bearing failures that hopefully were fixed. And if they've learned how to fix them well, but the way things are going, they'll, they, right after that car, they went to a turbo six and they're, they've been staying on that path. Next BMW is going to be a hybrid of some sort for the M3. So if you really want that V8 like screamer, this is the only way you're going to get one. And it also still has like the feeling of a car, right? You have hydraulic steering, you have like, you can turn off all the nannies and, you know, actually own the car the whole way. And I have some electronic thing telling you how to drive. Um, and it's not over complicated in any sense um, other than the motor, <laughs> but, but yeah, I, I have to say that's, that's only going to go up because, that noise that that motor makes the way it screams up to redline i mean it revs so fast i've driven a couple before now but um just it's almost like an exotic car but you can pick one up for twenty thousand dollars right now um so i think those are going to go well up and it's again it's never going to be a hundred thousand dollar car well i'm sure some are but if you look at the 80s m3s those for a period of time i remember you get one for eight grand now those are $80,000 cars, right? Oh, the E36s, those got really cheap. Those are now 60, you know, 50 to 60 for a good condition. E46s, probably a little bit higher than that. That's like one's favorite, but I'm sure E90 is going to go up there just because of that V8. So that's that's got to be mine. Okay. Yeah. So a little pricier than I had in mind, but that's the yeah. bottom dollar. That's yep. as cheap as it's going to be. That's a qualified. <laughs> yep. So yeah, it's a, interesting one i don't know too much about that um so this week i picked something that's a little out of my wheelhouse that you won't see coming um not something i've ever had um i've looked at a i look into buying a couple i've searched them uh just never really found the deal that was right at the right time but it was kind of a weird two-year production that came out of left field uh and i didn't really like them at the time it's not my flavor it's not my thing at all but kind of saw the performance and it was undeniable and that's the 03 to 05 neon srt4s <laughs> yeah so they're so cheap right now i mean i've been poking really? around at them and the reason why is most of them are just giant piles of garbage because they've been well everybody modded the hell out of them right and beat on them and they were cheap it's got a hold of them they were fast they had endless modifications so if you find a decent one that runs and drives, they're prone to rust in the quarter panels. Like they're, they've all got rust in this area. Um, the transmission synchros fail. So it has like third gear pop outs. So you'll, you'll see it in the end. No third gear pop outs. It's like a giant <laughs> selling point if it's not doing that. Um, super cheap, early 2000s Chrysler interior. It's a neon. It's just a really cheap car. But they make crazy, crazy power. I mean, you'd see these things. That were, you know, with a little bit of boost added to them going into the 12s, 11s, just for a cheap car when you're a kid in your early 20s. Um, they sold a lot of them and they were, they could pull crazy power out of them. So a lot of them had that done to them. So there's not many nice ones left. So right now I've been seeing them anywhere from like four grand to like seven grand, depending on body rust and mileage and modifications. But to even find an original untouched one, 
I, I don't think I found one that doesn't have like exhaust or a bigger turbo on it. Um, but I've seen, I saw one with like 70,000 miles that was mostly stock and they, it was, it sold for 13 grand. Like the first day it was posted and you'll see modded ones really, like I said, from like three grand to six grand right now. But come the day when these guys that were in their twenties, buying these things that destroyed them turned 45, 50 and they want right. to find one. And there's only, you know, 1500 left in existence that aren't destroyed. It's going to be a car that I bet will do some decent money. Man, that's actually a really good one. I think you're right on that. Like, but to find a clean would be impossible. Do they make? Was it just one generation of those cars? Yeah. Okay. I remember yeah, I test years. drove. A, I test drove a few of those, and I, I used to drive test drive every single car I could when I was that age. Right? Like, if a dealer would let me drive it, I'd drive them. But um, yeah, I, I think I remember the ad at the time where sh they were showing that it was as fast to the Viper to sixty. Um, you know, we might have yeah. to look that up later, but I'm pretty positive that was like a fact about it. Like, obviously, the Viper would just walk away from it above that speed, but they actually were pretty small, lightweight cars and they could get up and move, right? Yeah. So, I mean, front wheel drive, four cylinder, it was not really my flavor at the time, but right. as they came out and I saw a couple at like cruise nights, I was kind of like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> I think it'll destroy my CTSV that I just bought. Like, that's crazy. Okay. Well, and that like started so the just whole. A little like... bit of... <laughs> You know, Japanese market was already into those cars, but that's sort of the American market for those. So like the Cabolt, um, SS, Cabolt SS. Like the Ford Focus, you know, ST, RS, like all those cars are because of the neon existing, right? Yeah, that's cool. I, I think you're right. I think if yeah. somebody found one of those clean, like hang on to that. There'll be like a handful of people that want them, but they'll pay big money to have it. Right? Yeah, I think if you got like 15 grand to spend right now, just be patient and just, hunt one down and just like i said toss it in the corner of your garage and just wait a decade <laughs> nostalgia is a very pricey thing to buy back and someone's gonna want it but well look at the integra yeah, i mean right from the 90s like those went up huge yeah oh, geez. right Great example but yeah before we close i remember we had a uh when i was probably in middle school my my cousin was four years older than me he was in high school and couple kids that were like a year or two above him in school lived in his neighborhood and they had a dodge neon gang <laughs> and this was before the srt4 <laughs> came out this was like 2000 2001 and they all had like these lime green neons and red neons black neons with these big old exhaust pipes on the back and lowered and wheels and tinted windows and you know subwoofers just cranking music and they'd all just gather it in his driveway and I thought it was the silliest thing. I'm like, guys, like go buy a go buy a Mustang or a Trans Am. Like, what are you doing? Like, why are you buying a neon? Because they weren't even fast yet, you know. But no, I think they were not alone. I think Mopar read the market and saw what kids were doing. They're like, hey, that's what they want. Let's give them one. Right. And yeah. that's how that thing was created. <laughs> that's 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 a good one. Uh, that ma makes me think of one for next time. That I'll have to look up to see where they're at. But all right, cool, awesome. Cool. Well, anything else you want to close on? Nope. Nope. Uh, thank you again. All right. Well, yeah, guys, later. thanks for listening. And yeah, please, uh, you know, leave us a review on iTunes, head over to Instagram at the Motor Madhouse and follow us there for more memes and videos and car talk. Uh, uh, yeah, please rate and review on iTunes. That kind of helps boost us up in the algorithm and get more people listening. Appreciate to hear your feedback too. any other cars that you guys are thinking of that fit into any of these episodes. We'd like to hear from you guys. So thank you.